From South Carolina Public Radio, this is the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on October 16, 2023, from South Carolina Public Radio Studios here in Columbia. This is our fourth SC 2024 episode, and it's our look at how campaigns work in South Carolina. We're going to look at the ins and outs of campaigns, the things that you don't see or hear about behind the scenes. And to help me do that is my aunt Schechter. She is leading this episode again, folks. You'll hear from her in a moment. But first, I want to ask you guys to give us a shout at 803-563-7169. We'd love hearing from you. That way we can talk to you guys. You give us some questions, your hot takes, and we'll talk about them in the wind-down section. But there is no wind-down section today. But... I have so much to talk about that maybe we can have a wind down section. No, no, yeah, no. I, I, oh, I, come no, on, this is my putt. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Me. Stop, it. stop it. Just watching. AT. Okay, now that that is out of the way, <clears throat> I am Mayan Schechter, reporter with South Carolina Public Radio. Gavin, you and I have covered our fair share of presidential campaigns. In 2016, you were in Columbia. I was at Aiken. We were in the trenches together during the 2020 presidential primary. That was the Democrats. And now we're here getting ready for the 2024 cycle. It's starting to make me a bit nostalgic for my own campaign One that I ran in elementary school, demanding more appealing lunches, break times, and... Oh, okay, okay. She is a woman of the people there. But you know what? You weren't the only one who launched a campaign in their youth. Oh, when did you run? Well, besides winning in fifth grade as president, I, uh... Well, I also had a small run in high school for senior class president that didn't work out. Despite the slogan, if you want action, vote for Jackson. So, did you win? It didn't really work out, but I did write a sternly worded letter to the editor. But enough about me. Ooh, very embarrassing. Um, In a similar vein, I not only lost, but my younger brother Ayal was the running mate of my challenger, who also happened to be a very good friend. It sounds like maybe we both could have learned something about how to run a campaign had we made this podcast episode in the early 2000s. Yeah, like how hard can a campaign be, right? In this episode of the Leeds 2024 podcast series, we're exploring campaigns, how to run them, where to run them, and why some strategies are better than others, even though really all strategies are better than no strategies. And we're talking to people in South Carolina who know a thing or two or three about how to run Republican campaigns in the Palmetto State. You've probably been on the receiving end of a barrage of digital advertising during your favorite show, or maybe you've gotten one of those life-size candidate mailers that makes you wonder how exactly the post office was even able to fit it into your mailbox. Well, there's a strategy behind that. And not to sound all big brother here, but campaigns have become so skilled at knowing voters that those mailers aren't just showing up in your mailbox or ads aren't just popping up while you're online shopping because maybe once in a blue moon you voted in a Republican primary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but what about the diners, the lizard thickets, the waffle houses, the Sheely's barbecues and the basins of the world? You can't run a GOP campaign in South Carolina without going to a diner, Mayan. No, you really can't. And we cannot forget about our sacred establishments. Hallelujah. 
So when we talk about South Carolina Republican campaigns, we've also got to talk about who runs those campaigns. And I think that's a good place to start, Gavin. Right. South Carolina is a small state, but it's also a very red state with plenty of Republican campaign work to go around. What we found is that there are a lot of campaign workers and volunteers in South Carolina who oftentimes will use the state as a stepping stone. But there's also the prime campaign and party workers, people from South Carolina who grew up here and stayed here with a giant pulse on what works and what doesn't work in the state. People like Hope Walker Rossi, the executive director of the South Carolina Republican Party, who volunteered, ran, staffed, you name it, on a few presidential campaign cycles. They know, you know, the local lizard thicket or the local business owner that should attract, you know, a good crowd, those kind of things. They have those connections. So it's not just the paid political operatives that are important for these national campaigns. It's the local folks on the ground as well. And Mayan, Hope explained why hiring these experts is in part key to performing well in South Carolina. If winning, of course, is your goal at the end of the day. These are people who know the state, the grassroots folks on the ground, And importantly, as both a strategy and life priority, they know where the voters are eating. Here in the Midlands area, you've got Richland County, but you've also got Lexington County. There's always going to be a stop at Hudson's Barbecue nine times out of ten. There's always going to be a stop at this uh, Lizard's Thicket right up here on Elmwood. Or there's a local uh, group called Lexington Republican Dawnbusters. They meet at another Lizard's Thicket over there. So, you know, those are always key areas. Then you've got the upstate. Folks are always going to do something at Bob Jones. That's always going to be, you know, a campaign stop for folks. Or um, the Beacon up in Spottenburg or uh, the Seneca Family Restaurant in Oconee. So, you know, whenever folks call, it's like we connect them with the local, like, main activist or county party chair, whomever is the best point of contact. But we also give them a list, like, okay, these are places. Like, I can go ahead and tell you, like, this is where they're going to tell you you need to go type thing. So you've got that in most counties throughout the state. And one thing that you see these candidates do as well, you'll see them go to the smaller counties too. So, like, for example, in 2012, cycle in Newberry, we rented out the Newberry Opera House and Fire Marshal ended up having to like shut our doors. It got packed, but we did that event with Newt Gingrich. And that was the first time a major political candidate had gone to Newberry. So I copied that model and I worked for Governor Huckabee and I took him to the Newberry Opera House and we had a packed event as well. And so you want to bring them to not just your big metropolitan or your cities or the you know top 10 of the large counties. You want to get them in those smaller counties because those folks don't always get to see this kind of thing. So the first job for any presidential candidate is hiring quality top staff. Whether the candidate listens to the staff is an entirely different story and not really a topic we're going to dive too deep into on this podcast episode. But now it's time to campaign. Walter Wetzel, a Lexington-based campaign consultant whose shop is used by presidential candidates and state lawmakers, explains the perks of campaigning in South Carolina, starting with the temperature. The cool thing about South Carolina is, one, it's just they're coming off of Iowa, where it's really, really cold. I mean, I remember the LCD clock on my car was frozen one morning. It would not, it just literally froze, you know. Um, I mean, it is bitter. And so I think it's refreshing for them to come back. And even when it's 50 degrees outside in February, it is it is a breath of fresh air to them. I think they like it. We're small, we're compact. You fly into Columbia, you can get just about anywhere in an hour and a half, two hours. Davenport is a long, long way from Sioux City, right? I mean, you can't do it in Iowa. 
the media landscape is different. You know, to be on TV in New Hampshire, you have to be in the Boston market. The Boston market right now is $1,100 a point for half the state. South Carolina, you can buy the four in-state markets, Greenville, Florence, Columbia, Charleston, for 260 bucks a point or so. So media is literally almost one-tenth of the cost. They are refreshed by that from a budget standpoint. They are refreshed by that from a climate standpoint. And I think they, they, they still get this sort of retail politics thing. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've done the whole Tommy's Ham House and the Sheely's Barbecue. And Walter explained that campaigns kind of like South Carolina voters a bit more. Uh, okay, brag much? It's because GOP voters here are viewed as a bit better of a bellwether for campaigns. Here's Walter again. The impact that South Carolina has in, in the grand scheme of things and the sort of change of dynamics, arguably, you know, 08, South Carolina saved John McCain. John McCain didn't come in one, two, three in, in, in Iowa. So I think they think it's impactful. It's worth their investment. It's worth their time. I think they enjoy it. It's, uh, it's real people, and they don't expect you to remember their names like they do in New Hampshire. Rick Perry told me one time, you will never believe this. He was coming from New Hampshire one day late. I had a woman c- come up to me. This was in 16. He said, you met me in 2012. What's my name? Uh, there's this expectation, I think, in other states that just we're, we're kind, we're nice. We, the Southern hospitality thing is real for, these, for the candidates who are coming in from from other parts of the country. Well, we, we've got to slow down. We can't get too ahead of ourselves on these episodes. We'll get to 2008 and 2016 soon enough. But let's rewind a second to what Walter said about investment. <laughs> Campaigns like South Carolina because it's not as much of a bang to their pocketbook. The state has a relatively cheap media market. And if you're thinking about gas, it doesn't take that much to, say, get to the mountains or to the coast or even areas that border with another state, like your old stomping grounds in Aiken, Mayan which juts up against Augusta, Georgia. Here's Walter Wetzel again. In South Carolina, it's pretty, because we have these four largely in-state, well, four in-state markets. Greenville's a little bit of a, of a weird one because it goes into Asheville. But you can buy about 85% of the Republican primary vote with broadcast TV in those four markets. Okay, so you're a candidate for president running in South Carolina. You've got your team, you got your money, and your message. Now, finally, it's campaign time, folks. For this episode, we asked a bunch of political consultants the perks and downsides of mailers, digital and TV ads, signs, social media, PACs, yes, PACs, and the old strategy of just having a good ground game and talking to people. Ooh, scary. Call it harassment. Call it polite stalking. Thank you, Walter Wetzel, for that phrase. It's like you just know there's a campaign going on just by the sheer number of ads. Hopefully you know what the campaign's about at that point, too. And if that candidate has money, you're going to get a lot of their ads. But I find that sweet spot of a high, high important issue to voters on an issue that my candidate is particularly good on. And that's the message that we, we go bring to them through a number of means. Direct mail, television advertising, door knocking. That's R.J. May, a Lexington lawmaker who runs a political consulting firm. But putting a candidate on the trail every day can be costly. So campaigns have so many other ways to get a candidate to you that includes dropping those big mailers in your mailbox and spamming you with tons of ads. But there's a science behind it, May says. Look, direct mail, I write direct mail for three audiences. Uh, Glancers, skimmers, and readers, right? So my glancer is going to take a look at it. They're going to see bold print, a picture, a name, toss it in the trash. A skimmer is going to look at 
all of that, plus maybe one or two highlights on the back. And I have my reader who will actually sit there and, and read every word of what that mailer says. So every piece of literature that I craft, whether it's direct mail or, or a palm card, hits those three audiences. And I want them to have a touch. You know, it's all about touches. How many touches can I get with a particular candidate? Um, door knocking is the most personal, cost the least, but time-wise costs the most. On the other end of the spectrum, you have television, which costs the most, but it's not particularly personal at all. Uh, you can change the channel. You can fast forward if you've got, you know, pause TV. But direct mail, you go to your mailbox every day. You look at your mail whether or not you, you know, whether or not you think you do or not. You, you flip through that. Um, so I think direct mail, as we go more and more digital, is going to make that full circle of coming back to being particularly important. I think we've seen that. And then there's social media and other streaming services. And Gavin, as you recall, if you lived in South Carolina during the Jamie Harrison versus Senator Lindsey Graham race, you're familiar with ad placements literally everywhere on every streaming service, even my Taylor Swift music station. These are relatively new ways to reach voters of all ages, and campaigns are definitely taking advantage of them, whether it's Twitter or X or Facebook, even at least in one case right now, TikTok. And signs. We cannot forget about campaign signs on people's yards. And there's a purpose behind them. Here's what Walter Wetzel had to say. It does raise name ID, but it also has this sort of psychological, strange, unexplainable thing that happens in a voter's minds that if I see all these signs, that means that candidate is working his tail off. And if he's working his tail off for you know, for the campaign, he'll work hard in office. We, we see the same thing door knocking. But there is a big elephant in the room that we haven't talked about that everyone we talked to said is a massive game changer. Here's Hope Walker Rossi again. I'm sure you'll see PACs, especially because that's the other thing that's really evolved is, is PACs. That's right. Political action committees or PACs that can raise and spend money to elect and oust candidates. Here's Dave Wilson, a South Carolina Republican political strategist. Political action committees allow for you to focus your interests into a campaign. You see it with a lot of different groups that are out there. Um, there are groups that are conservative groups that are specifically focused on economic policy. Well, how are you going to get your economic policy message out there if a campaign is not necessarily talking about those things? Or do you see one candidate better than another? There are groups that are out there right now. There is a Never Trump campaign pack that's out there that will absolutely tell you how bad Donald Trump has been. And they're spending, they have to be spending at least half a million to a million dollars because I see the ads way too often of this is what we don't need if we have Donald Trump. Well, there are a group of people who have that opinion. Political action committees are a way for them to be able to express themselves. If you're a candidate and you put an ad out there, FEC rules tell us that your ad has to be able to be displayed uncensored by the broadcast airwaves. Cable airwaves are different. Digital's even more different. And so those factors come into that. And so they are a way for interest groups to be able to speak into a campaign. And there's a wide range of debate on whether they're good or bad, but everyone we talk to agrees, Gavin, they have changed the dynamics of politics. It's definitely changed it to where it's been a force multiplier. 
Um, you, you can have a wealthy individual essentially bankroll your pack, uh, and that pack can go out and, and advertise on your behalf. And it's it's changed the face of how much money's in politics. It's changed the face of uh, the activities they're able to do. And it's, I think, uh, has, has moved politics in a better direction in the sense that there's more information available for folks um, and, and more people trying to connect with voters. That was State Representative R.J. May again. Here's another take from Walter Wetzel. I think the, the big con is, and maybe some people would view this as a pro, it has largely made the party structure fairly irrelevant. When Gavin and I can start the Gavin and Walter Super PAC and we can go raise unlimited amounts of money, do not have to disclose many times where that money comes from, can spend it ever how we would like to spend it on whomever we would like to spend it on, where's the, par- you know, where's the party structure? That, that used to be the conduit for large donations, and the party would come in and make big expenditures late in the campaign. So I think that's been a, again, whether you view that as a pro or a con, that's been the big shift in in the political, you know, the foundation of, of some of these campaigns. Even the, even the lines between communication and coordination, those are the two buzzwords in the pack. You know, you can communicate, but you can't coordinate. Well, what does that, what does that mean? Hmm. You know, Gavin, maybe I should have had a pack in elementary school when my brother ran against me. I could have done some real exposure. <laughs> a little Project Veritas action going on. Hmm. Well, I hate to admit it, but I did have a pack in high school, and that's why I, I lost because it's a lot of dark money going into that race, right? Which was illegal. I can't imagine this is high school, so I can't yeah, imagine the kind it, of dark. I money. was actually part of the Citizens United case because of that. Wow. Yeah, you really well, just you learn yeah, something new every day here. You know, that's what happens when you go to school in DC. But uh, Mayan, those are dirty tricks. I don't want to talk about that in this episode. Later this month, we will dive deep into the nastiest, dirtiest, scariest tricks in South Carolina politics, and where those tricks are overblown or overplayed just in time for All Hallows Eve. <laughs> Thank you, Mayan, for this wonderful episode. And join me and Mayan in future episodes where we talk further about the history of dirty tricks in our politics, why we love to hate polling, and we'll look in detail at the past three primary winning campaigns. And then we're going to give you everything you need to know about the 2024 Republican candidates running for president and how to vote in the February 24th primary. Subscribe to the South Carolina Lead wherever you find podcasts, and we'll have a new SC 2024 designated episode every other Tuesday. And you can find out more about the primary, the latest news from the trail, and more at SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org and SCETV.org slash SC2024, your home for campaign 2024 coverage. (laughs) As always, thanks for listening to the pod, and make sure you show us your appreciation by leaving us a review or a voicemail at 803-563-7169. We'll talk about it in a future wind-down section. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. I, I'm a, I was Smart. a squeezer Ooh. with the nails. Okay. What? Interesting. Yeah. One time. Keep my nails sharp. There you go. One time, <laughs> speaking of nails sharp, one time my dad was coming up the stairs at home. This is so bad. Honestly, I should have been committed. And he was not wearing a t-shirt, and I took my cat, and I dropped it right on his back. <laughs> what? And I, a wild I, child. I know. I would have committed me. I think, I think we have a new ending to the <gasps> podcast. <laughs> <laughs>